Hey everyone, I always enjoy doing these. It's been a while since I've done one. Uh, they're always pleasant and cozy and fun to do. So I'll probably be here for a, between an hour and two hours, but it, it'll be pretty chill. It's good to have on in the background or whatever. Uh, yeah, if any of you have got any questions at all for me regarding what I do, philosophy, the podcast, my work, then please, yeah, put them in the put them in the chat. Um, but the main, I guess not necessarily the main reason, I hadn't done a Q&A in a long time. Well, quite a while, a few months. Um, but the main reason is, of course, uh, let me try to get that in there. The new book, Only Ever Freedom, by myself, which I'm pretty happy with, uh, which I will describe from the blurb. Only Ever Freedom is a covert manual for internally exiting the modern world. So this Q&A isn't necessarily to do with this book, but it's an opportunity for me to um, promote it a little bit. So for those of you that know me because of the Exiting Modernity book and that stuff and my work uh, critiquing and looking at the modern world, then a lot of people basically said to me that they'd read Exiting Modernity and it really worked for them as like a manual or a guidebook for how to live within the modern world without being like stupidly radical like many of these other sorts of books do um and you know i was happy with the exiting modernity essays um generally but if if i'd gone into writing those essays thinking that they were going to be taken in that way then i would have probably written something completely different which is really why i then got to work writing only ever freedom which really is meant as a guidebook now it's not a guidebook in the sense it's going to be like right step one do this and step two because it's silly I, everyone has their own subjective purposes and goals and things within life so it's written from the ground up as a way to remove all the presumptions of the modern world um and um yeah so that's pretty much what the the book is people are saying please stop self-publishing books Duh. I mean, I could stop self-publishing books, but they sell pretty well. They've always got good reviews, and uh, I don't want to. Um, so the first question in the chat is, who are you and why are you alive? Who am I? I run this podcast. Uh, I talk about philosophy, and I talk about things like that. And I talk primarily about unknown and forgotten thinkers, and philosophers that have been forgotten why am i alive because that's the way that's what god willed basically um but yeah please put any questions you have for me in the chat i seem recently to have caught uh, possibly an algorithm has pushed the podcast or my own twitter somewhere that isn't people for some reason who are very resentful about what i do and there's suddenly tons of people replying and messaging me fairly whatever critical things but you know that's how the internet is but i've got some uh i've got some questions so one question what that i was asked was do you think that most people um do you think most people only understand freedom as negative freedom freedom from due to only being able to infer about other people's so freedom from instead of um freedom from I think most people think of freedom as freedom to do, so freedom for or freedom to consume. So when we think um, of freedom in the modern world in relation to a lot of the modern presumptions that I take apart in the book, 
generally my understanding is that the um my general understanding is that freedom in the modern world is generally four things so it's freedom to consume we understand freedom as basically acquisition as adding more things in adding more people in uh, adding more consumption in and things like that we don't generally think about freedom as freedom of like a purgation so freedom the you know freedom in the words of jack parsons freedom is a double-edged sword it's it's liberty and responsibility so it cuts both ways so in the same you know in the same sense you have a freedom to do something or to buy something or to live a certain way all these freedoms of the modern world which we've been apparently given freedom to be gluttons freedom to have all this promiscuous sex freedom to sleep around freedom to sell our bodies on OnlyFans or all this general garbage all this stuff uh, freedom to consume basically um, to the extent that we can do that what's often occluded within the modern world is the fact that that freedom comes with not only a certain responsibility but liberty cuts both ways and so from this we never explain that there's almost always a freedom from so like to but the problem with the freedom from is that like you end up thinking that because you don't have something that you're you're actually unfree because you haven't acquired it so freedom to do freedom for and freedom to acquire generally implant this sort of programmed idea that freedom is all to do with like filling a hole and this is what I call the deceptive denied desire, which is basically like, for instance, many people in the modern world desire to own like a Porsche, right? And the Porsche is like, well, if you don't want a Porsche, then it's assumed like, oh, you know, you're bitter or resentful because you can't afford it or all these other reasons. So there's always this like denial of the desire. And the problem with that is, is that it could just not be something at all that you want. And people need to understand that you've, you've been given all these sort of preformed presumed pre-programmed uh, horizons of what all freedom can be and then from that you're like okay well this is all my selections so um you know then that's where i'll find freedom and, and and the problem is is if you're only given this like small selection then ultimately you're going to be lost if you want something outside of it and so really the book is all about ripping back all the presumptions all the layers of desire all the modern detritus and and the, here's the thing i basically I, I state this very clearly in the book a farmer a homesteader a nomad a vagabond a billionaire are could all equally be as free as as the next person but it's all about Pur like purging the presumptions and then building up and if you find after you've purged everything or as much as you can internally that you do want to work a nine to five in the pod and eat the bugs then that would actually be freedom for you because you've worked out that's actually what i want to do but you need to begin to rip back those presumptions first so that's that's the the main point um Am I still studying Austrian economics? Why? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I am studying Austrian economics with the Mises Institute, and it's it's really great. I'm also noticing the difference in standards between British education and American education, with American education being far more rigorous. And that's not like a dunk on my tutors or the courses I did. Just the general British standard from the government in terms of what they think we can achieve or, or work or do is far far lower. They like they they just expect a lot less and it's actually quite sad whereas the american what, what the taste i'm getting from mysis is 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 demanding in a very good way and um yeah i'm still studying it why am i studying it because i think 
it's it seems to me now people can correct me correct me if i'm wrong um as i've sort of gone through the years i've realized that the the general economics that's taught it seems to be either neoclassical which is like light keynes uh or a lot of marxism and they they seem to be too emotional for me and they almost are basically ideologies they're closer to ideologies like marx's political economy and marx for, for mysis isn't isn't economy so for me I, I always had an appeal i mean i like the work of someone like hans hermann hopper um i you know and i like the word from from what i'd read i like the work of rothbard and many other libertarian writers and people of that ilk and i'm one for like personal hard work and liberty so it almost appealed to me and to be honest the more i read just before i started the course the more i found that it's something i just generally agreed with in principle so that's the reasons i'm studying it um yeah um so when are you going to do a podcast on rene gainon and the perennial philosophy gainon i've emailed about four or five different people on gainon and um it's uh, it's been tough to to it's been tough to find someone to do like if, if someone wants to send me someone to do a talk on Rene Gainon then please do I would love to perennial philosophy in general will be a bit more difficult I mean there's a seriously deep history that I would love like like most of the times when people ask me why haven't you done an episode on this I've probably searched and probably tried to like I know lots of people want the traditionalists from the Gainon school and they want the perennial stuff and I, I do want to do talks on that often it's very difficult to find someone to basically who's willing to come on and talk about it um am i familiar familiar with uh, ravenna hunt Hendricks and her system of transcendental kabbalah i am and a, a, a while ago i was in talks with uh her with doing a talk on that but i can't remember what happened there um but yeah i'm i'm familiar with it i haven't watched i know she puts out a lot of content and uh i haven't watched like i haven't kept up to date with it so i'd have to look into it again mr nomad where do you get your ideas um, I get my ideas from a catalogue which I, I, I've prepaid for a couple of years. It comes in the month, in the mail, once a month. No, to be honest, I th I get my ideas from the same place I think most people do. Unless you're some like genius who's drawing in something from the outside or, or able to really connect in some way, I get my ideas from from reading a lot and spending a lot of time on my own and just thinking about things and trying not to mediate my experience. I mean, most most good ideas are when people are just very honest about the, the reality which is literally in front of their eyes. That's what most good ideas are. And that's what a lot of the big social media accounts we're seeing come, come rise as, as big names are really people who are just seeing reality and being honest about what they're seeing. I, th I, I, I and. I don't think there's much more to ideas in a way than that. I mean, ideas can be super complicated, but if if that's the reality you're seeing and you're being honest about it, I mean, that's what the truth and that's what ideas are. Um, how do I go about... Uh, one sec. Uh, how do I go about reviewing, editing your books, like proofreading? Um, so what I generally do, write out the book, of course, then I run it through, like a, through Grammarly, which is actually pretty helpful. Then I, what I do is highlight the whole book and then I go through it paragraph by paragraph and when I've like proofread the paragraph, I'll unhighlight it. And then after that, I'll go through again, just reading it out loud. Um, I do my best. I do my best. Like, unfortunately, I can't, like, I, you know, I make a fair amount from the books, but not enough to really afford at this point to be paying an editor and proofreader, which, which ultimately is a big disservice to my work. 
um but because when it's your own voice and your own work you are you are far more likely to miss things so i sort of like you know apologize for that that they probably aren't as edited and proofread uh for, to, as well as they could be but actually from here on out i'm i'm uh it probably won't be well it it won't be self-published that's what i can say about that to what extent do your books include practical advice i mean i try to i don't like giving practical advice because then a lot of practical advice ends up being emulation or imitation um but i like to give practices which are very uh expansive that you can just take with you where you are so i often do like the 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 sort of discursive meditation um uh i practice which you can really you know that's really one of the best ways to begin to uproot presumptions about anything which people think it sometimes have said it's like a ridiculous um a ridiculous practice so i sort of take the idea of a bed you know a, a western bed frame with a mattress and all the doodars that go with it and i say well work backwards from the presumptions about a bed and you can begin to uproot some things you know like why have you got a bed and it's to do with comfort well that presumes certain things about your teleology and values and principles that comfort then of course is this completely accepted sort of terminal value of modernity and people go well yeah obviously and you can begin to work back from that and and, and uh you know unspool some things i guess um Someone said, thank you, thank you, Raya Morrison. Thank you for your hard work on the podcast. Uh, discovered it during the lockdowns, and it's been a bright light for me. Yeah, I think many people um, discovered it during lockdowns, and it got them through. So, I, I, you know, thanks for the kind words, basically. Thanks very much, and thanks for, you know, being here. Uh, do, do you discuss St. Teresa of Avila's interior castle in the book? This was a series in your work that really spoke to me about freedom. Um... Um, I don't discuss St. Teresa of Avila in the book. There's like basically one mention of God in this book. This book is trying to do something on a very material level, uh, or like pied pipering people in a way, I guess. But I don't really discuss religion in this book or Christianity other than right at the very, very, very end. Because I think once you begin stripping away the presumptions of the material world and in doing that, strip away the material world itself in certain ways, then ultimately you, you, you're going to find one thing at the end of that journey, or one... Uh, you're going to find God at the end of that journey, hopefully. Uh, or you or you, you double down, you go back into the world like a lot of people do. And di But, but St. Teresa of Avila is a fantastic book on freedom because all freedom for her begins in that first choice of entering the castle, which is, you know, the Chaldean oracles, which is know thyself. You know, that first thing that you need to do in these seven mansions, before you even get in the mansions at all, you have to go through the, the the wall on the outside, which is material. You have to like, you have to develop a relationship with the modern world, which is one of giving it away, because that's not where everything can be. So freedom for her begins from putting yourself, bringing yourself out out of the like the unlimited. We've got a thousand and one choices of modernity, and putting yourself into some serious, um, principled and value laden uh, limitations, and going going deep. Um, Am I going to get Bob Dobbs on soon? Really appreciate your previous work with him. This is the same person who asks this every single time. And like, I promise you, uh, I will get Bob on again at some point. And I've actually got like half a document of questions that, but, but I've, I've spoken to Bob quite a few times. So like, I try keep things new and like, that's a conversation I've got to prepare for. And it's going to be hopefully between me, Bob and another guy called Clinton. So I am 
trying to get there with the questions, but I want it. Me and Bob have spoken about McLuhan so much. We really have covered a lot of the basics of McLuhan. So I want to make sure that we, 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 we go into different areas and I really want to focus on the Joycean aspects, basically. So hopefully soon, I'll try get him. I tell you what, I'll try do Bob as a Christmas special because I think that would uh, that would work well. That would be a good Christmas special. Um, how does your conversion to Christianity affect your interest in Deleuze and CCRU, etc.? I mean, it's um, you know, I could do the typical sort of trad Christian thing and say that maybe there's demons or something like that, but I, I think that's silly to do. I'm still interested in CCRU. I'm still interested in Deleuze, even though I've taken a big break from Deleuze, which I think people need to do because he sort of can he, the, the Deleuzean stuff that's around at the moment ends up overwhelming everything and drowning out everything take a break from Deleuze is my advice to people interested in the continentals um and uh in terms of Christianity you just begin to see these things in a different light basically I mean if you're going to take Christianity seriously as the truth then you see things in different light um Deleuze of course was an atheist um but there's so much I still hold that I think the reason Deleuze's philosophy is so popular, I mean, there's two reasons. One is a silly reason that there's a Z in his name and Deleuze is a really cool name. But I think the main reason is that Deleuze's philosophy is very optimistic. You know, it's all about potential. It's all about positivity. It's all about going forward. It's all about this sort of building in a way, right? There's not even such a thing as a lack in Deleuze. There's this just this 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 emphasis on something else which is very peculiar um i'm still interested in them basically actually i've got someone emailed me about wanting to do an episode on proust uh proust and deleuze so i'll be reading that stuff uh, again soon um are you in or have you ever considered going into personal analysis as, or psychoanalysis in other words do i see value in it um as far as i'm aware psychoanalysis in the catholic church just obviously don't see eye to eye because really what's happening in psychoanalysis is that the you know unconscious forces freud considered catholicism basically or religion in general like the big daddy figure that everybody needed right um but if we were just to expand that question out whether or not i think whether or not i see value in it i mean that's a subjective thing whether or not people see value in therapy is I would say that the the value of something is in the results, right? So if if people are going to psychoanalysis and they're finding that they're they're, they're coming out of it more, not necessarily happier. I don't think to 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 tack on to therapy in general outside of CBT, which is like just stupid. Uh, serious therapy is is I I wouldn't say it has that relationship with modernity, and that's something to question because a lot of people say, "Well, you can be going to you know people are going to therapy. Why aren't they so much happier?" I think the teleology of therapy shouldn't be shouldn't be happiness i don't think it should or, or contentment it should come from uh, an unspooling of knots which are the root of big problems in people's lives and eventually as those unspool which is an extremely painful process however you want to view that from that eventually may come some happiness and contentment but beginning from one 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 of the major presumptions of the modern world is that is that everyone just assumes that hedonism happiness comfort and pleasure are of course the agreed upon uh collective teleologies like why wouldn't you go towards them and so if there's um if, if people find value in it sure but it's it's i would be careful not to you know 
I like reading psychoanalysis. I like reading Freud, Lacan, and, and, and Jung. But I would be careful not to have that subsumed into the current language around therapy, which actually I'm about to write a, uh, a something on therapy as secular confession. Now, I wouldn't, not sure I would consider psychoanalysis in that classical older sense in that. But some of the language I'm beginning to see around therapy, I just find so despicable that, that what, what people are throwing out this notion of like, do you, you need to go to therapy, man. Like therapy is this like idol. Um, and people are throwing this out there where like any little problem or any, but it's not only problems of the person. It's like uh, disagreements. So if someone disagrees with someone, they're like, oh, that view's crazy. Um, they're like, you need to go to therapy, man. Like basically using therapy as a means to uh, sort of deconstruct someone so that they agree with someone else. And that's, you know, Foucault was good on these points, right? Um, yeah, so that's what I'd say. I mean, I'm not, I'm not huge on therapy, but modern, a lot of modern therapy is, is, I mean, they've actually managed to water down CBT now. I can't remember what it's called, something else BT, but they've managed to water that down, which is pretty impressive. Um, but pretty much most of the, the majority of the, the, the common forms of modern therapy just seem to be pretty useless. Uh, but it's subjective. The value is subjective. If you do it and you do it some weeks and it works for you, then I'm go do it. Um, with a, uh, what are the limits of your faith? You're sorry. There is like there's like a kid in the hallway screaming. Um, what are the limits of your faith and your search uh, and your search for knowledge? You have no problem delving into occult topics. For example, some Catholics won't even do yoga. Well, I think there's a huge difference. Someone, so someone did ask me this the other day about like, where's the limit going to be now? And this is actually a discussion I've had to have with myself a lot. Um, and I, my, 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 my line on this is this. Like if we were to take occult stuff and even things like Nietzsche and Schopenhauer as examples, Hermeticism, occultism, Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, these things exist. It's, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's far more damaging for people to just like push them under the rug and ignore them because then you don't know what the hell's going on. Um, I, these things still interest me. This is culture. This is philosophy. This is spirituality. You can't just say, well, like, I, I believe the Catholic Church is the truth, but to suddenly just then turn to all these other people I've spoken to and have these very beautiful cultural systems which they've been brought up in and just be like you're you're wrong right to me yeah they're wrong but i still find there's a lot of beauty in them you know i spoke to john michael guru about druidry just the other day i'm not going to stop doing these things the only yeah dialectical behavior therapy that's the one the only thing i'm going to stop doing is leaning uh, is, is is having a sort of an emphasis or a leaning towards practice so i'll be talking about them more on the historical philosophical and cultural level like okay let's let's look at what you believe basically and i'll still be doing that will there be subjects i won't touch probably not i mean you know no probably not i mean some catholics won't even do yoga but i mean do this is the the line really is between uh the culture and the philosophy and the ideas and the practice um i wouldn't i i wouldn't do yoga um but you know am i going to start telling people to not do it no um what uh, with the channel called Hermetics, have you overlooked Franz Bardon or did I miss it? I haven't overlooked Franz Bardon. As many of you will know, Franz Bardon was actually a system that I, I know a fair amount about. I spent a lot of time with initiation into Hermetics a long time ago. And I'm fond of Franz Bardon. I think Franz Bardon was a good guy. I've yet to read his biography. I really want to. Um, 
Did you miss it? No. I, I There is a guy I know who writes commentaries on Franz Bardon. I probably would like to talk to him at some point. Um, I've been meaning to do it. I, I, ironically, hermetics, I haven't really tackled hermeticism or um, initiation into hermetics all that much. Um, have I researched Catholic therapy? I looked into Catholic therapy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not someone... Um, I'm not someone... I don't really want to... I don't feel the need to go to therapy, to be honest with you. I... I mean, you know, anyone who's spent time in prayer and confession will know that that is a serious. And if you if you believe, uh, if you truly have faith and you truly have faith in grace, then prayer and confession are far, far different to therapy. And so Catholic therapy, I don't know enough about it to say, but it's it's this is something that I, I would still be. Uh, I'm still a sort of a firm believer of like know thyself, so it would be something that I'd do on a personal level, I guess. Um, go not to the elves for advice; they will they will say yes and no. <laughs> uh, there was a couple of other questions. So Greer episode coming soon. Someone asked, yeah. So there's a Greer episode coming up probably in about a month uh, on Druidry, um, which was um, obviously a long time coming. Um, you know, Greer is, that's his primary thing. He is a druid. Um, keep the questions coming, by the way. Uh, yeah, Greer is a druid. So that was, that was a great, I mean, I, I just love talking to, I love talking to John. I really do. Uh, he's a great guy. He, I basically never have to do any edits to the episode in terms of pauses or ums and ahs. Like he's, he's stupidly quick, like ridiculously quick. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just a delight to talk to basically. Someone else asked, um, Am I familiar with Gene Wolfe? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Gene Wolfe, but I've yet to read any. And he's like, he's on the fiction list near the top. I've got a couple of fiction books I want to get through and then uh, that I'm going to get to Gene Wolfe. Like I, fin I just finished Lord of the Rings for the first time. And it took me a while, mainly because it was just wasn't something I wanted to rush near the end and to just slam through it. I mean, but I mean, it, it really is just astounding how beautiful and and expansive lord of the rings is but not just that i think after you've read it any notion that it's not a religiously themed or catholic book is just nonsense okay there's a bit right before frodo and sam they're at the base of mount doom like this every day they're like basically passing out waking up and having a little bit of lambus bread and and marching on and it, tolkien's talking about it as like the 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 darkest black right the worst evil and darkest place ever and then he's talking about the the only way they got through this darkness is with water and wafers of lambus bread i mean at that point you just think okay this is so blindingly obvious i mean people who say that oh there's some subtle hints that it's like a christian um you know christian metaphors or allegory i, I can't I always get those words uh mixed up a little bit but um it, it it just is there's no question um someone said some of the discussion in the uh sorry some some of the new steiner episode was reminiscent of aspects of tolkien's mythology any thoughts on taking a look at influences themes in his work from a more hermetic adjacent so there, there is i i um david engels who i did the discussions on Oswald Spengler's Decline of the West. He's um, he's not a Tolkien scholar, but he is. Um, he's he said to me he reads Tolkien every day. There's so much Tolkien, and I'm like now on firmly on this train. The Silmarillion's on its way. I'm reading uh, just before bed. I read um, 
usually a couple of poems at the moment from the adventures of tom bombadil i mean i think tolkien's poetry and songs you when you go through lord of the rings and especially the hobbit as well you should stop and read and sing those songs outside they're out loud they're so joyous and uh beautiful but i would like to do more on tolkien now because there's so much there um yeah um you ever do anything on Celtic or Gaelic Christianity? No, I, 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 I've, it's not an area I have delved into at all yet. Um, but it would be fascinating. I know Greer, <laughs> of course, Greer has actually written a book on. I think it was a book on mystical practice, which could be performed by Christians with a, a Celtic. So it's Celtic something. I can't remember exactly. Maybe that would be a good place to start for me. It's one of Greer's many books. <laughs> Greer and Dobbs episode. I don't think so. I mean. It it, it it wouldn't work. I would, I'd probably do Dobbs and Land, maybe. That would be good. But um, Greer and Dobbs, no. I mean, Dobbs is McLuhan. Um, uh, I come from a heavy quantitative computer programming background, and I'm trying to relearn how to write in human language again. Any advice? Uh, that's tough because th that seeps in quite quickly. I have, um, when I start writing nonfiction, uh, and when I went back through to do the proofs of Only Ever Freedom, I find when I write nonfiction, I like clam up and I start doing, I, I repeat myself a lot in terms of common phrases. So I like say in relation to or therefore or things like that. And it's like this very clunky systematic language. Getting out of it, I think, is a matter of reading, is just reading more and reading uh, writers such as maybe Cormac McCarthy or Paul Kingsnorth in The Wake. You know, people who've, especially Cormac McCarthy, people who've really dealt with prose in a way where they've like pulled on the knot of needing to, do, needing feeling they need to abide by certain laws and things like that and allowing it to really flow. Um, but spending a lot of time with that systematic way of writing, it's tough to get out of it. But maybe some other advice would be why do you feel the need? You could lean into it and it, it would it would you know it become your own style you know and that's how styles really evolve is that for instance take it take one example frank herbert has this i'm not a huge on june but it comes through that he clearly has a very immense and and intense knowledge of ecology and this comes through in his style and his language and and you know these certain interests that people have clearly come through someone said uh, i almost always read any tolkien out loud it's just beautiful language that deserves to be dwelled on um, yeah, uh, Tolkien episodes. I, there's one person, though I know he's getting on a bit now, Ralph Wood. Um, and I believe he was the one who wrote Gospel According to Tolkien, which is analyzing all the Christian symbolism. I would like to do an episode with him. I think he's still doing some, so that might be someone I will email. But it probably be first I'll email David Engels. But I'm going to read a bit more. I mean, David Engels said this um, amazing thing to me, which I think is so funny, really. He said, you know, the Lord of the Rings, as just the story of the Lord of the Rings, so that's just a little story in this world. And it's it's a really great way to think about it because you look at the Tolkien's corpus, the Lord of the Rings is like, and then I wrote a story in the world. And because the whole thing is, it's like some nerd has just tried to find an excuse to just world build all day. And, you know, Tolkien's the ultimate world builder. and But he manages to do it without being, um, you know, strangely like, detailed it's clear he's not writing like every little thing it's it's expansive enough to still allow your imagination to 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 take hold it's just such a beautiful world and and as you said 
he is someone to be read aloud. I mean, you can hear on YouTube if you search Tolkien, he re you can hear him reading the writers of the the Rohirrim, the March of the Rohirrim. Um, you can hear him reading that over the footage of Peter Jackson's films, and uh, you know he has such a timber and roll of his voice, and he also sings the 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 song for the uh, the ogres the st they turn to stone he also sings that which is, you know hum by gum by it's a great little song from the hobbit but yeah so probably be spending more time with him i'm just looking around to see so i guess you know to keep everyone up to date i'm trying to finish the meditations on the tarot but since the card of the devil um, and people if you keep keep the questions coming since the card of the devil the book has just gone downhill and i'm still holding to the theory that um uh, that the author valentin tomberg most likely just these we're now dealing with his notes because it's like it's like a paragraph we think yeah he finished that and then it just jumps and it jumps and then there's huge quotations and it just there's the thread has been a little bit lost so i'm struggling to finish that but luckily we've only got four cards left on the on the book so yeah two for patron then two for that and then i'll finish up the saint john of the cross uh and then i wanted i want i mean very very slowly i'm putting together these talks on who sells ideas um that's a book i want to tackle before i start tackling more edith stein um and then for patrons once the meditations and the tarot's um done i'm gonna start doing talks on just really forgotten mystical figures um, and try get back to some of the earlier themes of the podcast, uh, which is these very forgotten um, figures. And someone says, since the card of the devil, the book has gone downhill. And honestly, it's it's glaring. Uh, even the card, the devil, the, the author, the author's style, becomes very very peculiar. And you wonder if something happened. Um, and he cuts out common bits that he had before. Um, and yeah, it, it does. It just goes down. It's it's really strange. Um, someone says they want to believe that Tolkien wrote about the lost human history. I mean, it feels that way. That's the beauty of Tolkien. Like when he's talking about the Third Age, you just think, is this an age which is just gone and we're now we're now here? Um, but I I also Tolkien's politics, which come through because they're not like this is going to sound ridiculous, but they're not like political politics. His politics are rooted to the to the way of life, and so like it's like the politics of the Shire doesn't come through as placards and meetings and things like that but there is clearly a, a an agreement in relation to liberty and what the way to live there um you know the hobbit the hobbit non-aggression principle um and and Tolkien was like basically an anarcho-monarchist as i understand it right he wanted anarchy like not anarchism but like freedom and liberty throughout the land in the in the form of that the, the, in the form that the hobbits have but at the same time the whole land itself is controlled with w within minor ways by a king that's the ideal political situation um you mentioned in the last q a that i wanted to start reading finnegan's wake at some point what's your approach going to be i don't know because i've seen it like i've seen it um you know I've seen Finnegan's Wake. I've looked at it. There's a there's a brilliant site online. I think if you type in like Finnegan's Wake commentary, there's this site where it it 
it's the whole of Finnegan's Wake, and then like as you scroll, it's it's there. But on anything that's of importance, which is basically the whole book, you can hover over it, and and there's like an explanation. But you you realize just how insanely detailed and almost holy writ like that book is with with what Joyce you know the knowledge Joyce have. Um, so that might be a resource I use. Could do a reading group, but I think that would be we'd all go mad so i said that yeah the scouring of the shire chapter i mean it's completely understandable that jackson left that out because i mean it's telling of the modern world that it was left out because it's the you know it's not what you want to go to the cinema and see after these other two films the triumph of the ring well which isn't really a triumph but the way it's perceived the the, the, the ring has finally been thrown you know the evil has been cast down Aragorn is crowned king. The hobbits, you know, you may bow, you bow to no man, right? And everyone wells up. You don't then want this peculiar thing in the, scour- the scouring of the Shire to come in and be like, okay, well, actually, evil was still around, and they then have to beat it again, and then and then Frodo goes off. But actually, arguably, it's in terms of the themes of the book, in terms of good and evil and of the stain of sin on the soul and the impression of sin on the soul and what it does and how it murks up the water uh, and the purity it's actually probably one of the most if not the most important chapter in the book because it's this fact that they there isn't this like clear cut we got rid of sin you know like frodo's still in agony from the dagger from the ring raids and you know that chapter's needed and there's a, there's a there's a fascinating little section actually in Return of the King, the book, where as they're finally they've gone to Rivendell and they've all settled after throwing the ring away, and they finally march or, or start their journey back to to Hobbiton to the Shire, and they pass uh, Sauron, uh, sorry Saruman, not Sauron, <laughs> they pass Saruman on the road, and but they they just see him from behind, and now he's wearing this like dirty patchworked cloak again and he's just this withered old man with worm tongue and they just sort of leave him be and i think that's really key and important um have i ever attended the tlm the traditional latin mass uh, i haven't yet so where nearest me there is in the cathedral nearest me there is one a month um which which i'm intending to to get to get get to um yeah so I haven't been yet, basically. No. Um, have you listened to Keith Wood's reading group? I think you would like it. It's not about politics. I haven't. Uh, I've listened to a few of Keith Wood's things. They're somewhat interesting to me. Um, you know, uh, but I haven't listened to the reading group. So uh, if someone bungs a link somewhere, I'll head over. I really appreciate all the work you do. I've been interested. I've int- uh, sorry. Someone said having a king is ideal. Um, no, it is. It is. It is ideal. Uh. <laughs> I appreciate all the work you do. I've been introduced to so many thinkers and philosophers. Maybe I missed it during the Chiran episode, but why, how is it do you find his work hopeful? I would say with Chiran, or Emil, Emil Chiran, that because of the fact there is such honesty there, and he is not holding back about how he is as a as a person who was clearly created. I mean, he's it's fairly... Not obvious, but something comes through in Charon where you you can still see that he is battling with with Christ and with God at all times. There's a book by um, Mer- Merko, I think his first name is called the the, the Mystical Nihilism, 
I think it's called of Emil Chorner. I haven't read it yet, but I thought, you know, and 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 the guy who wrote it is a priest, is a Catholic priest. I really want to interview him. Um, but I find hope in Chiron because I think more than even more than Nietzsche, because Nietzsche's this like grand vision where actually it's to do with we can't believe in God and it's not actually to do with atheism. It's to do with we can no longer believe in God and really the death of God is re read in this societal or value-based, morality-based term of. Christendom is dead. Ethics, morality of Christendom is dead, and we now live in this sort of full, the clear fallen world where we can't believe. But I think Chiron is really bringing it back almost to like the level of Augustine's Confessions, and it's like a negative Confessions. All of his work is like a negative Confessions, where he's just struggling with that. And I find hope in the fact that he, I find hope in the fact he didn't commit suicide. You know, I, I everything could have led him there, but there, there was clearly something that was enough about life. And I think it was his early relationship with God in the Orthodox Church, I believe, that, that probably stayed there for him. I don't want to push on to him that he was some covert believer or something like that. I'm not trying to push that, but I just find hope in him for those reasons. That, In the sense of when I spoke to Paul Kingsnorth, you have this idea from an Orthodox monk about the, the best place to you know keep your mind in hell and despair not. Uh, the best place to find Christ is in hell, right? Because that's the place where you need the light to come in, right? The light in darkness, by its inherent definition, cannot have light. And so, like, in the darkness is where the light has to come in and push the darkness away. And so in Turan, you're thrown into the pitch-black darkness of complete nihilism in the modern world. So where better to begin an understanding, in a way, on a philosophical level of, the, of what salvation is? And that's where I'd say I find hope. I would say in relation to that idea of hope, it's one of his really underappreciated works, but uh, uh, tears and uh, is it of tears and saints or just tears and saints? Tears and saints, I I think is one of his best, and there's clearly this real struggle for belief and faith in that book. Um, what would be a philosopher king equivalent for oligarchy? In addition, would we be worried about how little philosophically was ever written on oligarchy? It's always about four man or the people. <sighs> I don't know enough. I mean, I know about Plato as philosopher king, but I don't know enough about the distinction of an oligarchy versus a monarchy to understand what a philosopher king would be in that respect. Sorry to say. Have you ever read Lewis Munford or Kurt Lewin? See through the lens is of Ted K. Lewin created the force field analysis and Munford was critical technology and have revived an interest in Melville. I've been meaning to get round to Lewis Munford. Uh, techniques and civilization, right? And I don't know of Kurt Lewin. Lewis Mumford is one of the figures I really want to tackle um, because he, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, but um, I haven't got around to them yet, so I can't comment really. Have I read the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis? It's uh, this big old Space Trilogy is, is sitting on the shelf. And I really don't like it when books are huge and you, you open it and the whole page is just text with no like indentations and no paragraphs. So I don't know what happened with the editing. Maybe the book is just like that. But all the other C.S. Lewis I've read is, is quite spaced. It flows well. And this just didn't. And I was like, oh man, that's just daunting. Uh, so I haven't started it for that reason, which is a bad reason not to start it on my fiction list. How do you take into account the impact of cultural distance on your ability to understand foreign philosophical ideas? In my case, being francophone makes gravity's rainbow harder to read. I'm always very cautious about this. And actually, the more I've done the podcast, the more I see the cultural, geographical, and I guess temporally, 
contextual biases that I have brought to things where I assume people see things certain ways. Um, luck not luckily, I guess in a way, luckily, I'm in like the ultimate position where things generally have ended up being skewed to the perspective of uh, what they now call straight white colonialist colonialist men or whatever right uh so a lot of things end up being skewed this way so sometimes it's it's actually difficult to for anyone to get through to like how these things would be understood and it's very difficult to to imbue yourself with a generally a different cultural understanding um someone said to me the other day and this was so i recently i recorded a talk on the work of nikolai hartman uh, nikolai hartman um uh with Predrad chikovatsky and it was brilliant conversation, brilliant conversation. But he said something very, very interesting to me. You know, he studied in Russia uh, before the fall of the Soviet Union. And he said that, you know, at that time, Nikolai Hartmann was like, he'd be in sort of the top five. He wouldn't be considered top five in, in, in the world, like the best philosopher ever. But in terms of familiarity, like he was there. And then he comes to the, he moved to the US and people were like, Who's Nikolai Harman? So there's a lot about where you where you trained, where you did your research, etc. Things like that that understand it. But but uh, Predrag also told me something. You know, just to just to emphasize this distinction between languages, places, cultures. That in the Russian language, eighty percent of Russian is passive voice, whereas pretty much in English everything is act active. Which, which, that must, you know, that clearly seeps into the culture, into the understanding of a philosophical level. It's undoubtable. Um, too bad that uh, Nei Unescu's works aren't. I, I know, I know, it is too bad that Nei Unescu's works aren't translated into English. And that sphere that was around Chiron and Mosi Eliad. I mean, I really want to do more talks on them. But as you say, a lot of that hasn't been translated. But there was a book I found on Ney Ionescu by another Ionescu. I'm not sure if I probably was a relation, right? Uh, but I think that author had recently passed away, so I couldn't actually do that. I couldn't email, reach out to them, which was a shame. But that sphere is another sphere I'd like to tackle in, in time. Um, but yeah. Um, mold bug or land? That question would have been more interesting if you said, if you just said Yarvin or land. Moldbug, mold, Moldbug, and when he was under the name of Moldbug, Moldbug and Land were really of the, the same cloth politically at that point in time. It's always going to be Land, though, isn't it? It's always going to be Land for me, um, you know. But Yavin or Land, yeah, definitely Land. I mean, yeah, I don't know what Yavin's really up to with his writing and things at the moment, but uh, it's still interesting to read. And the whole Neo Reaction era, I think it did it did what it needed to do because you know the the most perhaps the most important neo-reactionary essay, essay by Moldbug basically said, look, it's a, tool a toolbox of ideas to be used. And I think that's what neo-reaction has really done. It's opened, opened, it's cracked open the Overton window, broken orthogonality and just entered people into a different understanding of things. Um, yeah, but uh, keep the questions coming. The um, the book, which is sort of the vague title of this Q and A, Only Ever Freedom. If you type in Only Ever Freedom on Amazon, you will find it. Um, and eventually, because I have actually moved away from intellectual property, like understanding that intellectual property can really be held, uh, very soon it. I've got to just because I, I overhauled my site again with WordPress because it makes everything easier. Uh, I will do it so the PDFs are are um, 
free freely available like all my other books and if you want it for free then go get it for free the other stuff that um let's see what's what's up and coming there's gonna be a there's gonna be some uh an episode on albert schweitzer there's gonna be an episode on nietzsche and steiner and the, the that first that you know steiner's influence in that philosophical domain there's another gonna be an, uh, already recorded another episode on jan patochka there is um uh, another episode on the work of Bruno Latour on Facing Guy, and there will be a, a, an episode fairly later on about a Jean Marie Goya, Goyao, who wrote uh, Ethics and he wrote on Epicurus. The paperback shows us out of stock on Amazon because it's just that popular. I'll double check that, but um, it, 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 this happens quite a lot. Um, to be honest, let me just double check. It, it doesn't say out of stock for me, but it might be different. This is do.co.uk. <laughs> Someone asks, have I ever had peanut butter? Um, I have. I don't mind it. It's not incredible. I've got a couple of jars in at the moment. Um, I'm not big on peanuts. I don't eat much. I really don't eat much. Um, my favourite meals are generally like bread and butter and cheese or like a stew or my oh my ultimately favorite meal ever is pasta aglio e olio pasta garlic and oil um oh it's out of stock um hmm okay um so honest, do I read any poetry? Hard mode, <laughs> not Tolkien. When I was younger, I read a lot of Philip Larkin, like most people did. Um, I'm trying to think, I read a lot of Shelley. I was introduced to Ozymandias, and I read a lot of Shelley. I quite liked Hamish Fulton. Uh, who wrote the skip? James James Fulton, I think. I quite liked him. But Hamish Fulton. I mean, these are all. None of these are particularly, you know, ground like you know they're, they're well known. Um, but Philip Larkin, when I was like an edgy teenager, as well around that age, like many people, Bukowski. Um, let me think. Let me just look around my shelves. Um, no, I've never been. I've only just really got into it. The thing, the thing is, I I really struggle with rhythm. There's two things that I've never really been able to um, grasp. <laughs> And in any way, like my brain can't do them. Geography. And anyone who's in the Discord when we play GeoGuessr will know I just cannot. I can't remember it. I can't do it. I just cannot do geography in any sense. I can read maps, so I can do it on like a local level. And like rhythm, like music, I just cannot. I can't do that. Um, and so poetry. To 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 know this, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's all these different meters and rhythms. I I'm like reading it out. When he's, if I say morning office or evening office, when I say them, I'm like, duh, 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 duh. you know, I'm just like a monotone moron saying these things. Um, so I really struggle. I need someone else to keep up the rhythm for me. So I struggle with poetry for that reason, um, which is why I really like Tolkien, because he's not afraid to actually go back to the, the, the dare I say it, simplistic forms, which I'm, I'm like fine with. Um, and it's very quaint and lovely and wholesome. Um, Myth of the Machine. Okay. Robert Frost, question mark. Uh, 
Robert Frost. I haven't... No, I haven't read any Robert Frost, sorry. Any opinions on the work of John David Ebert or plans to invite him on your podcast? So many people have been asked about John David Ebert and they want me to talk to John David Ebert, but I just need something to talk to John David Ebert about. Maybe me and him could just have a chat. We're both sort of doing the same thing. We're both bald. Um, <laughs> you know, be good. I haven't really plans to invite him on. I mean, he's just doing... He's just just doing the same sort of thing as I understand it. I mean, he's done a lot of work with Spengler, so that might be interesting. But I haven't planned it, but it's not like I don't... Pro, I don't have a problem with him. You know, it just hasn't been any plans that have arisen. Um, can you recommend... Or someone said I found Bukowski to be quite pathetic as a person. Yeah, so when I was reading Bukowski when I was between 15 and 17. It's 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 when you read him, right? Uh, there's a lot of writers that I just think, yeah, that's when you read him. Uh, I didn't mind his novels, Post Office and Hamon Rye. I would still say, actually, yeah, they're all right. But as a person, to say he's pathetic... Uh, I would read Hamon Rye. He had a pretty tough go of it when he's younger, and you can you can see from that how someone might end up being uh, the way he turned out. Let's say. Um, can you recommend any fiction dealing with collapse? Um, well, there's a lot, but the the masterwork. There's a few. There's a few that just haven't really been surpassed. I would say, Lucifer's Hammer, masterwork. Um, Alas, Babylon. Hasn't, those two are the staples of apocalyptic collapse fiction. If you want, there's, there's, there is this sort of genre that's rising now of collapse fiction, which is like hyper-realistic. There's a guy, James Wesley, who does these books where it's like the collapse of America and every other page is like a reference to an actual thing that you can go buy, you know, like a utility knife or a stove. And like, if you want that kind of thing, those things tend to not work all that well. Um... I would also recommend Canticle for Leibovitz. I would recommend The Road by McCarthy, even though it's not it's not his strongest, not by not by a long shot, to be honest. Um, let me think. Whatever post-apocalyptic fiction. It's when my oh well, Greer Stars Reach. Um, Stars Reach is fantastic, and he's also now doing an update to Twilight's Last Gleaming. So those those would be good. Um, uh, where do I get the drawings for my thumbnails? I generally just search. So that's one thing. I'm probably going to stop doing the yellow thumbnails because they're probably not the best thing for the actual like look of the podcast. And sometimes I it's just I find it really garish and arrogant now. Like I look at the guests when they might have retweeted it, and then like you go on their normal page, and then there's like this yellow thing. So I want to stop. You know, the other thumbnails I've done for like the Gerard talks and the theology talks i've had much more enjoyment making them because then you can actually you can you can theme the style of the the thumbnail around the 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 the, the thing you're talking about and it makes it much more enjoyable to to make them so i'll probably change them but the drawings generally i just go to google and i search for like um non-copyright it's often a bit difficult most and and they are collaged as well so i think they get out of copyright however i've never had a problem with that i'm not you know if someone said can you not use that then i would change it all of course right um Based, based nativist Northman, literally unable to navigate further than two miles. I'm not a Northman. I'm I'm from the south, my fellow man. I'm from the south. I'm from the equivalent of the Hobbit. And as you know, us. Uh, what, what are the two? You have the, you have um the two Tooks and the Baggins, right? Like I'm probably ninety five percent Took. No, well, who are the ones that just like like it cozy? Baggins. Yeah. 
I just stay in the shire, basically. I don't need to go more than two miles. I will literally unfollow you if you give up on the yellow thumbnails. Uh, three people have said, man, I hate democracy. Sick of it. All right, I'll keep the yellow thumbnails. Makes my job easier anyway. All right, keep them coming. Uh, what are we up to? We're up to about an hour. Yeah, any more questions? Um... Um, I'm trying to think what else is coming up. I might think about a new reading group. So the only reading groups that are really, um, well, the only ones that are going on at the moment are the two Gurdjieff ones, which have been going on for over a year now, both of them. Um, but I, I'm looking for stuff that we could, that, 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 that would be a, an accessible and a popular reading group. Will Norfolk survive the collapse? I believe it will. Norfolk's, uh, if you look at the history of Norfolk, there's a great couple of little books recently published actually on the history of Norfolk. I am turning into one of those people that reads the history books of their own county. Um, if you look at the um, <laughs> if you look at the history of Norfolk, it's always been a very, um, like, uh, what would you say, frontier-based. I mean, Norwich used to be the capital, but because of the land, because of the flatness, we grow a lot of crops here very self-sustainable and because of the coastline it's always been a very um and because the uk is like this just this vertical thing where people go up and down because it's off to the side you only go here to come here and you just end up staying it's a very self-sustaining and independent place and that's that's clear in the mindset of the people here as well has there ever been a post-apocalyptic book that ends with society regenerating or being better than before? Well, I mean, the idea of regeneration and better is in the implication of like, well, what would it mean to be better? Um, so if you're being like, would it, is it then more high-tech? I mean, uh, regenerating over what time span? If you mean like immediately, then I'm not sure that, that there is. Um, but that would be, that would be, um, that would be to do with like the myth of progress once again. The, oh, the other thing I want to do is do some talks on so some people have probably seen me tweeting about this on twitter but i want to do some talks on uh where the wasteland ends by theodore Roz rozak and or Roshek, someone said politics and transcendence in post-industrial society i mean that book is like uh, illich a little all these figures condensed and beautifully written and it's it's um been seemingly forgotten um so it'd be nice to do some some talks on that yeah um trying to think of anything else is coming up christmas the well the anniversary which is four years or five years i should know four years will be october so not too far away so middle of october i believe the anniversary and yeah, and then Christmas. I always try to get some more stuff out for Christmas. And I'm looking forward to Christmas. I like Christmas. How do you prioritize your to-read list? I find myself crumbling under a lot of books. And it's hard to choose what to pick next. Priorities. I mean, I so I, I always have one um, Hermetics book, like for an interview on the go or whatever I need for the interview. I have one of them on the go. And I have like three days of the week I put aside time to read that stuff. Um, and then with like the talks, I basically... Put, put my day into like slots of six and i'll just do a bit of each thing every day that's how things get done you just do a little bit a little bit and then by the end of a year you have a book or you have whatever right um but and then in terms of like 
in terms of my own personal reading so like at the moment i've got the the adventures of tom bombadil um i've got the life of christ by fulton sheen and there's another book on my bed side at the moment which is i can't remember i don't think i've but uh, I, the priority for those things when I'm going to bed and do another hour reading or so for enjoyment is like it's just how I'm feeling am I in the mood to try you know understand and internalize the mystery of Christ or am I in the mood to read some cozy talking poetry you know that's that's to do I'm I'm pretty merciless with books which aren't to do with the podcast as well like if if, if it's not doing it for me after 50 pages I'm, I you know I don't have the time and I don't think there's any need to pretend that you need to get rid of that completionist attitude because it, a lot of books are filler. Books after about 1980 became a lot of filler, um, and yeah, like they, and and these midwit books they really have a style as well, visual style. Do you intend to get into farming, buy land, grow your own food? Um, I, I don't intend to get into farming. I have a I have a a light intention to get into buying land either in scotland or wales at some point not for about two to five years because there's some things i'm doing here which are long term in this place and it allows me to save up um and i haven't even ruled ruled out moving abroad because land is getting quite expensive in the uk um but it, it's very up and down with the land i mean it's really expensive in some places and then not expensive in others right it's to do with weird arbitrary values which are always subjective right that's austrian um so yeah it would either be wales or, or, or scotland basically um um would you consider a talk on the grail corban louis boyer charles williams a wait on the grail i've done two talks on henri corban you can look them up uh louis boyer yeah i i I'll consider any. I mean, I always say to people, just tell me who you want to do a talk on. I'll see if I can find someone. Someone says, do you think it's feasible for an artist to survive just off their work in the era of AI art, like Mid Journey or Dali, Dolly or whatever it is? Or do you think they will rely on a genuine patronage outside of the system? Um, I would say that where, where art's concerned, I mean, this would go back to like whether or not, you know, it, it would actually go back to, it's a very difficult question because it would really go back to the idea of what it is that's within a painting, you know, what is the notion of authenticity, right? Because it's the idea of like, if someone does a one-to-one, -one, literally perfect replica of a Michelangelo, well, we know it isn't a Michelangelo. An AI could probably eventually do that if we set it all up right with a canvas or the marble or whatever, right? But we would know it isn't. So it's in that distinction of knowing the intent of the thing that would change it. And also there's certain humours, um, there's certain humour uh, that, that I don't think would come across. Um, I think people probably would prefer, maybe prefer to work with a human in that domain. Who knows, we'll see. But I th certainly think when it comes to illustration, that's probably going to be the first industry because illustrations cost a lot for things like The Guardian. I, I knew a couple of illustrators, like for big, 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 when I was in art school, there's a lot of people who obviously did illustration, and you know magazines are paying five hundred to two to two thousand, if not far far more pounds for just an illustration that goes on the page. And if you pay a subscription to an AI service and just type in like, you know, I need a a, a Studio Ghibli themed cartoon horse, 
having a tea party and like you need that and the ai is good enough to give it to you like that that's probably where that fir the first market's going to begin to fall i the, the the thing that i really see with this ai because it's really beginning to speed up in terms of giving it some input and it and it can begin to understand what to output is more the so it, that's how it's going to affect the illustration industry i personally then see it as well eventually computing could get good enough where someone imagines a video game or a film in their mind and they go film about a magical coffee cup who goes on an adventure through the shire and then becomes a wizard right and you just type that in and you say runtime two hours style realistic or cartoon or something um you know themes death right or whatever and an ai is like right here's your film for the night same with gaming and that's super dangerous and i think uh, foster wallace was probably really onto something with the very idea of infinite jest in infinite jest which is this elusive videotape which if you watch it it's so entertaining you never want to do anything else and the people who've then watched it end up being plugged into like drips and spoon and being bed fed or whatever it's called because they're just now addicted to this thing and that's where i see that going in a way um do i remember information from books i've read and podcasts that you did from over two years ago most most of the time i do but it is a little bit scary now i mean it's a lot of content now uh and it's a bit scary sometimes i'll be like oh yeah i had that conversation but generally speaking once I think about it. I can I can tap back into the conversation. And go, oh, yeah, I remember those things and stuff like that. So, I am interested in these things. You know, I, I enjoy. Like, I would not have a guest on and read their book or read more than one book for for the interview if I didn't if I wasn't interested. Like, I've been asked to I've been asked to do things and I've had people email me to say, can I come on or whatever. And sometimes I'm like, I, I just if I don't have the interest, the conversation is not going to be any good. I'm interested in most things, but but you know, if if it wasn't interested, then then so so I I want to read the ideas anyway. Yeah. Uh, for those who are wondering, these are on sale. I'm I'm drinking uh, Planet Over Profit Soda, Pop Soda, Jagged Grapefruit, Pink Grapefruit, and Blood Orange. Very very fancy. Um. Well, I'll ask yeah one more time if anyone's got any more questions, and um, if not, then I'll wrap it up, and uh, yeah, it, it will have been fun. Am I going to write fiction in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I really want to get back to it. I mean, I really, really enjoyed writing the fiction from memory. I really enjoyed writing the fictional parts of Methodology of Possession. And I really, really enjoyed writing Be Not Afraid. I loved it. And I, I, the thing with fiction is you can go off for like a month. I want to start world building. I have a world that I'm slowly already building. And I want to write stories in it. Um, and yeah, so there's about three or four books I want to get out of the way. And while I'm doing them, um, while I'm doing them, or once they're done, then I'll probably start in this fiction or I'll be slowly doing it while I'm going through it. Speaking of art and reproductions, did you know the Tate tries to claim copyright on public domain images which are 300 years old and are clearly public domain? The Tate has always always been a fairly despicable, useless institution which promotes fairly crap art, to be honest. I've always been mostly disappointed when I've gone to the Tate. Um, 
when I did used to go to galleries in my art school days, I had a preference for the Saatchi, which is always good. Lemoncello. Uh, yeah. It's a long time, a long time ago now, and I don't really go to galleries anymore. But yeah, fiction, I'm excited about it. Um, but yeah, uh, let me think. The book, obviously, uh, what's the setting? The influences will be like Tolkien, McCarthy. It will be sort of high fantasy, maybe. Yeah, that kind of thing. The influences are mostly Tolkien, McCarthy, Greer. It's going to be a real mixture of the things. It's sort of going to be about liberty, primitivism, technology imbued with Christian a Christian allegory really I can't get away from that now and I don't want to I don't want to write much else um, with the books and my work of course can be found Amazon when they're when they're in stock um, if you enjoy what I do Rothko's paintings Rothko's great I mean you can stand in front of Rothko all day Write about mysticism. I'm going to. I'm going to be. I'm. I'm sort of. I am going to be. Those are things I've got planned. Uh, but they're they're non-fiction. Um, but I think I could probably imbue the fiction with some form of mysticism. Um, if you've yeah, as always, not not needed. But if you enjoy the work and all that stuff, then the Patreon is there. Uh, thank you to everyone who does support me. Of course, as usual. Um, yeah. That's about it, really. It's been a good laugh. It's been a good fun. Thanks for all the questions. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to just doing more and keeping everything running. Cheers, guys. <laughs>